Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dugout, Football Social Daily. Traditional three o'clock kickoffs, giant killings, kids with tinfoil trophies in the crowd. It can only mean one thing it's FA Cup third round weekend, and there are some eye catching ties. Man City versus Swindon, Liverpool against Shrewsbury, Cambridge taking on Newcastle United, and little old Morecambe heading to the bright lights of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Welcome to The Dugout, the podcast featuring former Premier League professionals. What is it really like rocking up at a lower league ground in the FA Cup? And does the cliched magic of the cup still exist or is the competition disrespected these days? We'll discuss that on today's show as well as whether Romelu Lukaku's controversial interview this week will have changed the atmosphere in the Chelsea dressing room. Plus, with the January window now open for business, how exactly do transfers work from a player's perspective? I'm Niall McCorn and we'll get all the answers on today's episode of The Dugout. And joining me is former Leicester and Brighton man Dean Hammond. Happy New Year, Dean. Good to have you back. Good to see you guys. Yeah, Happy New Year to you both. And we've also got ex-England and Everton player Trevor Stephen here as well. I would say Happy New Year to you, Trevor, but it doesn't sound like it's been that happy. You've been suffering with the old coronavirus. Yeah, I thought arrogantly that I'll not get it. I'll not get it. You know, and... (laughs) Uh, first experience of it, didn't enjoy it, I have to tell you. It lasted six or seven days of uh, positive testing. But New Year's here and, uh, you know, good to see you guys and, and get back on track. And you're feeling better, that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, I feel good now, feel good. You can understand why Jurgen Klopp's tried to get these games called off then. <laughs> Even as yeah, I, mean, I think people get people get to different uh, different levels, different experiences, you know, but mine was fever and, and you, could, you couldn't get anywhere near a training pitch if you were feeling like I did uh, and it's it's the sort of ongoing um, effect it has on you um, which is probably different to everyone you just don't know what you're going to get and you know it's, it's difficult situation you know whether you're in football or whether you're in, um, in corporate or, or whatever if you're a mom and dad or your grandma or grand, grandfather it's it's not it's not pleasant but anyway we're, we can move forward now and uh, look forward to a better 2022. Yeah, glad to see that you're well, Trevor. And it's, of course, FA Cup third round weekend, which means the Premier League and Championship sides are inserted into the draw. And there are some interesting ties that have come out, a few potential giant killings, some of the ones that we've picked out, Swindon against Man City, Liverpool against Shrewsbury, Newcastle against Cambridge, Tottenham against Morecambe. And then we've got some all Premier League ties as well. West Ham take on Leeds, Leicester, the current holders, of course, of the FA Cup play Watford and Manchester United play Aston Villa. So there are some interesting ties there, Dean. But I guess my first question is, 
How do you feel about the FA Cup? How did you feel about the FA Cup when you were a player? Because for me, it's such a prestigious and important competition, but it doesn't always seem like everyone feels that way about the FA Cup, at least in recent years. I think you're right now. I think it's a, it's a little bit different nowadays. Uh, I think the modern games um, changed, changed it a little bit. But when I was growing up, very, very special. Um, the old cliche, I used to play in my garden, thinking I was in the FA Cup final playing at Wembley. And that continued really into, into my playing days. And I love playing in the FA Cup, especially um, when I was working my way up through the leagues and I was playing for lower league teams. If you could, if you could get that special draw in, in the third round, it was... It was brilliant um, and had some brilliant experiences in the FA Cup. So I used to really look forward to it as a player. Um, it could give a nice distraction away from, from your league form if that wasn't going too well as well and could build a bit of momentum. Um, it could help you if you weren't in the team as well. It would give you an opportunity to play if the manager rotated the squad. Um, so as a player, I loved it and had some some really good experiences with it. Um, you know, I had some... When I was at Brighton in the Championship, we beat Newcastle, a Premier League team at the time. When I was at Southampton in, in League One, we beat Blackpool, we were in the Premier League at the time. Um, again, at Brighton, we had a really good game against Arsenal and lost 2-1 at home with, with a late goal. Um, and had some not-so-good experiences where I was at Sheffield United in League One and we went to Old Trafford and, and played Manchester United, expecting them to put out a really weakened team. They put out a really strong team, their first team, and we actually did okay. We got to nil nil to the 89th minute until uh, until I give a penalty away and we lost one nil so, <laughs> with, with a tired lunging tackle. So yeah, it was um, I had some mixed emotions in the FA Cup, but absolutely loved it. Really, really did and. I still think it's a special competition. Yeah, me too. No newspaper clippings of that one, though, in the Hammond household, by the sounds of it. <laughs> 89th minute concession of a penalty. Now, Trevor, you're someone who I'd imagine enjoys the FA Cup, seeing as you won it in 1984 with Everton. You were runner-up on a few occasions as well. What are your memories of the FA Cup and how do you feel about it? Well, as, as Dean said, uh, you, you go back to your childhood um, um, and I'm going back far enough as to think that uh, I remember that the FA Cup final was probably one of three or four live games during a season. We used to get the odd home international games uh, on live. Um, maybe a, a European Cup final might be on live. But apart from that, it was the FA Cup final. And uh, th there are lots of different things that have happened within the game that have um, made this the specialness of this uh, um, be quite far removed now. And it's probably finance at the end of the day. Um, you can argue around it as, as much as you want, but the competition is still the competition. Um, and I, I was very lucky. I was, one of the biggest days of my life was the first FA Cup final I played in was against Watford in 1984, which was a key moment for me. Um, Everton win the, win the Cup and I played well and it was a stepping stone uh, onwards. And then I had three defeats in FA Cup finals, 2-2 Liverpool and 1-1 to Man United. When you're an Everton player, you know, losing against Liverpool is never, never fun. But great experiences. What I also loved about back in the day was that Wembley was seen as very much the sort of uh, the target, the long um, goal to get to, whereas now you, you can play uh, at Wembley in the semi-finals, for instance. And it, it does lessen the impact of the day as far as I'm concerned uh, because it was all about Wembley it was all about playing um, in front of the two towers or the old towers uh, on, on what was the best playing surface in the country by a, by a country mile 
So it has it has changed. I think it is finance. You can understand clubs have uh, other priorities, um, which is about survival. It's about con- continuing their clubs uh, development and growth. And the money comes from from the Premier League uh, in the main. So uh, it's understandable, but very regrettable because as a competition, um, it's amazing. I you know when I was at Burnley. Uh, and we were playing in the third division back then in the old one, two, three, four. Uh, we we had a couple of games um, uh, against Altrincham, for instance, uh, and it wouldn't have been that bigger giant killing if Altrincham had beat us. To be fair, but it still felt like uh, you had that personal pride of being a professional uh, league player and to go to Altrincham, and we did win, albeit it was on a replay. Uh, and there been there were some fantastic um, games over the over the my period in English football um, where it did throw lesser teams together with with the, the bigger teams and when you're playing for the bigger teams you've kind of got a uh, a difficulty in that you're expected to win and the, the, the lower sides build up their game it's a cup final for them and, and it used to draw some magnificent uh, spectacles you know I, got, I go back to Newcastle United and Hereford and John John Radford and things like that um, which was uh, goodness me it was you know, when the pitches were real pitches or not. Uh, yeah, so great memories, great memories. But that's changed, no doubt. Yeah, I think you're right with the finance side of things. I think you're right to pick up on that because for me, that is the main reason why the FA Cup appears to be not disrespected, I suppose, but less important maybe is a good way to put it. And um, interestingly, you mentioned that that final that you won at, at Wembley in 1984. Graham Sharp was on the score sheet that day and he's just been appointed to the Everton Board of Directors, which is an interesting development, which I'm sure we'll hear more about as the weeks progress. In terms of what it's like then, Dean, playing against a, a lesser or a greater opponent, for want of a better term, in the FA Cup, I guess you would have experienced that at some of the clubs you played for, for instance, when you were at Southampton and you were at Leicester, two sides who would have had aspirations to be Premier League teams and, and did eventually get there. I suppose even in the league, when you're playing at that level for a big club, every team, it's treating you like a cup final. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, when you play a a lower-ranked team, um, it's always difficult. Um, and. I think for an FA Cup draw, you're just praying for a home tie. I think that's before you even get the opposition announced, if you can get a home tie. Um, because going to um, a lower team, an away ground, it's, it's just different. You know, I, I, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough that you know, I played at every level. So I know I knew what it was like as a player. Um, but for players that are brought up in academies and brought up playing in the Premier League, to, to experience that lower league ground, to experience a different type of atmosphere, different type of stadium, it's really interesting, and and for when I was playing, you know, for the foreign players as well to experience that, it's really interesting for them. So, it does throw up some really interesting results, and it does become a little bit more of a leveler, which is brilliant. Which I think is what the competition is all about, and that's where, you know, uh, the magic comes of, of the FA Cup. So, but also, you know, when you play against the bigger teams, Trevor's right. It is it is your cup final. It's your day out. It's your chance to impress and. Especially if you're a younger player, it gives you an opportunity to to test yourself individually against players that you've seen and think, how good could I be or how good am I? Um, and it gives you a chance to, to showcase yourself as well for potentially getting a move. So I think the magic of the FA Cup is still there, but it, it can be difficult because you, if you're a bigger team and you're playing against a lower league, you just want to get through it and not get injured and get the result. And it, it doesn't quite work like that, especially on a cold day, on a rainy day, especially, you know, <laughs> the third round's always in January where it's cold, windy, it's muddy, the pitches are not as good. And 
it does become difficult, but I think that's why it's so entertaining. I'm quite interested in the point you mentioned about playing at every level, you know, all, all four professional divisions. I mean, say all four, but even the conference is a professional league now, really. Do you think that's helpful, Trevor, for players to have come through that system, come through the EFL to then develop as a player in the top flight, much like what you said you did with Burnley, where you were playing in the mm-hmm. in the, the, the third division and then coming up to play in, in the top flight? Because... You know, I, I think of someone, and just picking a name off the top of my head, someone like Mason Greenwood, who's only ever played for Manchester United at Old Trafford on carpet pitches at the training ground. He's never been out on loan. So if he ever gets to play in a cup tie against a non-league team, it might be a bit of a culture shock for him. So do you think that actually players experiencing that and conditioning themselves in non-league and the Football League helps them and stands them in good stead? I mean, Jamie Vardy would be a perfect example. Yeah, Harry Kane's done it. You know, uh, David Beckham did it. He was at Preston on loan, and um, in, my, in my situation, uh, I've, I've found, and one of the reasons why I went to Burnley in the first instance, um, apart from I, I just loved the the whole history of the club and I loved the people within it, but the biggest thing for me really was um, being able to get on the field and play football matches, and by starting at uh, a lower level. I was giving myself a better chance on, on getting on the field and, and getting game time. So by the time I was 19, I'd played 75 matches, you know, for Burnley. Uh, and so that that was a breeding ground, you know. It was a learning curve um, in, on, in difficult conditions, difficult pitches, um, physical football. And you do have to sink or swim. Uh, but at least you get the chance, you know, and... I suppose the FA Cup in itself as well has changed now that the bigger teams anyway are, are, use it as a rotational opportunity. And uh, Dean was, was saying it earlier in, in our conversation that that does give players an opportunity, does give them a chance to go and play. And uh, I certainly got that, you know, at, at Burnley, just being able to get into the team. I, I remember the, sort of, the peak of it was when I was at Burnley, we played in the FA Cup, maybe 1982, yeah, it'd be 1981-82, playing against Tottenham. Uh, away at Tottenham, when they had Hoddle and Archibald and Ray Clements and Steve Perryman and Osvaldo Ardiles and people like that. And we went to White Hart Lane, Burnley, and won 4-1 in the quarter, in the quarter, in the last 16. And that was a typical uh, smash and grab opportunity that sometimes the FA Cup throws up. Was that due to absence of fear, though? Because you were the, the team that yeah. weren't expected to win. So I guess you had no fear of, of losing because you you probably went into the game thinking, well, mm. we we're probably going to get smashed anyway, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, they took us lightly. You know, they took us lightly. I mean, you just looked around their, their dressing room and it was full of internationally recognised footballers and ours was certainly the opposite. And uh, we, we, we turned them over in and, and good fashion as well. So it, it, it's, it's great to be able to have those experiences in the lower leagues and uh, and, and challenge yourself uh, when you do get the opportunity to go to a Tottenham or a, you know, a Liverpool or something like that. And the pressure is definitely off you and you can maybe get yourself on a little run. And I did that with Burnley a couple of times. Um, but overall, for me as a player, great experiences to have. Just finally then, before we move on, Dean, you didn't win the FA Cup, but you did win the EFL Trophy. You won the Championship when you were at Leicester. So what's that feeling like when you... 
get your hands on the trophy and it's being passed around along the line and the champagne corks are out and the fireworks are going. Uh, that's Everyone says that's why you play the game, but they don't come around too often, those moments. So what, what's that like to experience? You know, I was very fortunate that I obviously got those opportunities and the, the, the Paints Trophy, you know, it's not a, a huge competition, but it was a, the finals at Wembley um, and it was for Southampton. So I think there were 60,000 Southampton fans there that day. We had three quarters of the stadium. So it was it was an amazing experience. And to walk up the steps, you know, I dreamed of doing that in the FA Cup. Didn't quite happen in the FA Cup, but, you know, I got to walk up the steps, lift the trophy as captain was very, very special. Um, and obviously winning the championship with Leicester, um, had a few promotions as well, but they're the memories. They're, that's what you really remember. You know, there's a lot of money in football these days and that's the modern game. And that's important because you have to support your family. Of course you do. But what you remember um, is those is those memories, is those uh, moments that you share with your teammates. You know, there's experiences and, and when you meet up again, that's what you talk about. So, no, very, very special. And to obviously share it with your family that are in the in the crowd and your friends and, and the people that have helped and supported you to get to that moment um, is very, very special. So, yeah, they're the things that, you know, still put a smile on my face today when you reminisce and look at the photos. So I think that's what you get involved in football for. And if you get to the core of it and you ask every footballer, they'll tell you the same. Um, and, and that's what really brings you joy, in my opinion. Do you, do you know the um, the thing, the difference between uh, league matches and, and uh, cup games? I mean, there's an absolute distinct difference and a different feel about it uh, because it is, uh, it's the now or never uh, element in, uh, in the cup games, um, which as a player, you do have a different mindset on that. Um, and you've got to take the opportunity when it's there. And, and you know, if you get to the end of a competition and win it, you can look back and think about all the times that you had to you know, turn up on that specific day and, and have a good day with your teammates. And, and it's, a, it's a recognition of that when you do get your hands on, on a trophy. Um, whereas the league campaign is the marathon, uh, whereas the, the cup is more of that turning up and doing that 100 metres as fast as you can on any given day. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a different approach from the professional side. It's the atmosphere as well, isn't it? It's the atmosphere with the crowds. As well, because you, you yeah. think an FA Cup game, yeah. the away allocation is more as well for, for the away supporters, which which improves the atmosphere. I remember we played um, Portsmouth when I was at Southampton in the FA Cup. <laughs> and we were in the League One at the time and Portsmouth were in the, in the Premier League. And that was, I mean, that game's intense anyway, but that was a brilliant atmosphere. And we got, I think we lost 3-0 that day at St Mary's, but... It was a brilliant, a brilliant it's atmosphere. So it's, it's the crowd. It's the crowd that bring it on. As well. <laughs> you, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't going to do it, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, it was four-one, and we got to the final and lost to Chelsea. Three nil in my mind. Doing <laughs> yourself discredit. I think Ricky Lambert scored actually, um, and David James made some big saves that day. But yeah, I mean that's what it's all about. The FA Cup. Looking back, reminiscing, and who will come out on top this weekend? Some really interesting third-round ties. Fergal we'll be back on Sunday's podcast looking back at some of those big results in the FA Cup so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that one we're going to move on next after this break we're going to be talking about Romelu Lukaku that controversial interview what did Dean and Trevor make of what he said and how will it have impacted the Chelsea dressing room we'll do it next after this Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. This is The Dugout. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Former Premier League players Trevor Stephen and Dean Hammond are with me. And I want to talk about Romelu Lukaku. He's dominated our podcast this week. He's dominated the headlines, the back pages in particular, of the British press because of an interview he gave to Sky Italia suggesting that he didn't really want to leave Inter Milan and that he wasn't enjoying himself at Chelsea. This comes just a few months after the Blues paid £95 million for his services. Was it as serious a problem as it was made out to be or was it a bit of a storm in a teacup? What's your take? Well, it, it, could, it could end up or it could have ended up uh, very serious. It depends on um, the reactions of the people involved, uh, which in, in this case is Lukaku and it's it's Thomas Tuchel and it's also the other players and it's also the fans. So you've got that sort of four corners that it can only move on if everybody gets back onto the same page and get back on quickly. Uh, and to be fair, it seems to have happened that at, at Chelsea. So it's been handled well. And that, the, the, the uh, media face, of course, uh, is Tuchel, isn't it, at Chelsea? So he was quite clear about... Uh, he, he never sort of puts in words and stuff that the media can play with. It's, it's very direct, it's sort of very Germanic in, in many ways. Um, so he, he doesn't wax lyrical about situations. And he made it very, very clear that it will, you know, we will deal with this internally. And that's about as much as I'm going to say on it. Of course, he wasn't happy. It's still, it, it, to me, in the modern world, it, uh, and we've seen it for years in this um, world of you know, sports media, and particularly football media, that the players still think they can do interviews and, and take off the guard, you know, take off the... the um, uh, the self-awareness when they're talking to someone like Lukaku did with, you know, Sky Italia. I mean, that's going to come back within five minutes. Now, we know that he's not um, the the central focus as he was at Inter Milan, but, you know, English teams now don't really operate in that way, do they? It's, it's very much rotational. So you've got to, you've got to uh, one, accept that, Secondly, when you are playing, you've got to play well. And, you know, Lukaku, although he started, you know, very well, the season was young, but when it settled down, got a little knock here and there, um, and didn't slot back in and assume the role that he thought he was entitled to. And so his reaction for me was was childlike, really. Um, if you have a grievance or you're upset about something, you go and talk to your manager internally. And the last thing you do is go and, feed the media because uh, that is only going to end up in, in confusion and um, animosity and a situation, particularly with Lukaku. This guy's only been in the door four months and that's a lot of money you talked about, 95 million, and he's not really happy to be there. He'd rather be in Italy. He seems to have U-turned, you know, and I think everybody's allowed to do that. But... Um, the well, fact- we joked earlier this week, Trevor, it was like that apology video. It was like a hostage video. It's like, you know, you could imagine yeah. Roman Abramovich behind the camera with a with a shotgun yeah. and a grizzly bear saying, say sorry, please. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. And people are not daft. Fans are not daft. Uh, what he has to do, he's got to do his talking on the field, but then he's got to get on the field by impressing uh, Thomas Tuchel with his attitude and training, his reintegration um, and relationships with, with the squad. And, and, and things will move along merrily. I, you know, you should have scored against Tottenham, shouldn't you, you know, in the Carabao Cup. If that had gone in, I, I would suppose that would have made things a little bit 
more easy to forget. But he's got he needs to score. He needs to score soon. You know, if he doesn't, um, this is gonna this is gonna linger a little bit, and, it, and everyone's gonna be looking at is he selected? Is he not selected? How does he look on the bench? Is he like with his head down? Is he not really focusing? All of these, you know, questions are gonna gonna raise their heads. Yeah, he's really got to toe the line now, hasn't he? Because he's made a rod for his own back with the comments that he's made. And I'm glad you picked up on Tuchel because I think he's dealt with it pretty well. I think he's nipped it in the bud. You know, considering the position that Lukaku put his manager in, he almost threw him under the bus, Dean. And that's not something you want to do. But I guess it's a bit of a catch-22 that, you know, Chelsea, they needed to punish Lukaku for what he said. And they left him out against Liverpool, one of the biggest games of the season. But at the same time, they need him. And Thomas Tuchel knows that he needs him. And I think Lukaku probably knows that he's required by the manager. So it's almost a a real tricky situation for Chelsea to get themselves out of. I think they've dealt with it pretty well. But what what do you think the reaction would have been like in the dressing room? And if you were a player at Chelsea now and you saw all of this going on, would it be something you paid much attention to? Or you just kind of leave Lukaku and the boss to sort it out? Interesting one. Really interesting. Because I think... Um, how I reacted to it as a player and how I reacted now would be very different. Um, I think the game's changed um, in terms of the personalities within dressing rooms. Um, and I think, I listened to an interview, I can't think what it was, uh, was about, but they made a really uh, important comment that, you know, dressing rooms is not all about players loving each other and being best friends, but there needs to be a respect there. You need to respect each other for um, how you are as professionals, how you perform and how you treat each other so I think there would have been a little bit of discontent within um, for the interview Um, but I don't think it would cause too many problems I really don't because I think players would have more made a joke out of it if I'm honest um, in in the modern day I think the manager's dealt with it brilliantly I think he's been fantastic he's kind of he's not um, he's just dismissed it really and just said that the club will deal with it it's an issue I don't like it but I'll deal with it and it's between me and the player which I think is brilliant and he's made a, um, a statement on it straight away and I think you can see it didn't affect the player too much because the performance against Liverpool was I mean it's one of the best games that I've seen in years um, when they drew 2-2 so and then they've gone on to beat Tottenham so they've reacted really well I just think it's one of those situations where Chelsea will be really disappointed because I don't think, well, I, I assume they didn't sanction the interview. Um, so I think as though it, it would, Tuchel would dis- be disappointed because as a manager of the football club, it looks as though he can't control one of his players, um, which is important as a manager. Um, but I think he's dealt with it fantastically, just dropping him for the game, taking him out of the firing line, having a chance to, to speak to him and really understand what he meant from it would be good. I think they could have had clear the air talks in terms of how they're both feeling and maybe what the... Um, how they're going to approach the change of system, playing a false nine, where does Lukaku fit into that, what he wants more from him during the season, whether he's been performing or not performing. So I think some good can come out of it. I really do. And Lukaku needs Chelsea and Chelsea needs Lukaku because I think if they're going to push for the Premier League and catch Man City, which I think will be very, very difficult, they need Lukaku to score 20-plus goals and they need him to find real form. Um, So to do that, he needs to be happy. So... It's an interesting one. It really is. But I agree with Trevor. You know, players have so much power these days and feel as though they can say what they want and they can get involved in everything. And I think that's very, very difficult. And I think he's quite lucky he's got a manager like Tuchel where if he'd had Mourinho, 
this, for instance, or I think it may have been very, very different. So it's a really interesting one. Do you, do you know the the, uh, the thing that you, you were sort of talking around it um, about the, the false nine and the, and the centre forward role? And of course, he is a number nine. Uh, he is a centre forward, uh, Romelu Lukaku. Um, but Tuchel must have been, and, and it's quite obvious for everybody to see the top clubs now play with um, strategy A, strategy B. Strategy A very much now is this false nine. And, and um, strategy B is more of the traditional way that, you know, if you look at Harry Kane, he's, he's tried to do the false nine, but Conte wants him up front more as a central um, uh, player up, up front. And, and Lukaku cannot play the false nine. He can't. He's, 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 he's more one-dimensional in the way that he plays compared to a floating group of players who are rotating in their positions. And I just wonder how he's not um, understood that or has there been a failure to communicate properly? That, you know, and Lukaku, to be fair to him, in Italy was magnificent uh, playing in a, in a in a league that's um, relatively made for his style of, uh, of centre-forward. Coming to the Premier League, it, it's more... Um, uh, let's say that there's more variety of the way that teams are playing uh, compared to Italy. But surely he must have known that as, as, as he came into the dressing room at Stamford Bridge, that it's not always going to be about Romelu Lukaku because that is not how the how it works uh, anymore. You know, not in the UK, certainly, not, not in England. Well, we said this on the show earlier this week. It's not like he hasn't scored goals. I mean, he came in at the start of the season and I remember him scoring a good goal against Arsenal and everyone was like, OK, well, Lukaku's back, he's here. And then he played in a Champions League game, which, according to reports, he demanded to play against Malmö, who are a, a Swedish team who Chelsea really should have beaten with or without Lukaku, and gets a kick on the ankle and he's out injured for six weeks. So he misses kind of pretty much the whole of November and most of December. He comes back into the Chelsea fold, doesn't get put into the starting lineup straight away, understandably so because he's just coming back from an injury. And then when he does get brought on at half-time against Aston Villa, he completely bulldozes his way through the Villa defence, um, wins a penalty, scores a goal after shrugging off Tyrone Mings with a header. So it's not like he's been completely massively bang out of form. So some of his comments just confused me really with what he said. It's it's an ego, but it's an ego thing though, isn't it? You know that these big players um, find it difficult to just be like one of the others. Right. And, and in a rotation system, you're just one of one of the number and you will be used accordingly to um, at the discretion of, of the coach. Uh, but I think some uh, really find that difficult, a difficult pill to swallow. And I think you, you can you can see like Ronaldo would be in there, you know, and um, Lukaku's obviously shown that he's got a, a tendency to throw the, the dummies and the toys out the pram. So. Um, it's it's about a little bit of humility, I think, from these players, which will make it, the situation a little bit more um, stable, a bit more positive. Uh, and, and they need to look at themselves, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I definitely think that Lukaku needs to score um, to kind of to, to shrug that off, really. They've got Chesterfield in the third round of the FA Cup on Saturday. So I think they, they should probably be all right. And maybe Lukaku might be in line for a couple uh, on that what, what if he doesn't play what if he doesn't get picked <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the squad against Chesterfield don't open that can of worms we'll have to do another podcast oh, no, let's not go It'll there be another interview we'll, we'll get him on the show see what he says um, time to move on now we're going to talk about January transfers we'll have a quick break first but Newcastle United have signed Kieran Trippier is it a real statement signing from the tune we'll do it next after this 
Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is the final part of the dugout for today. I'm Niall. I've got former Brighton man Dean Hammond and former Everton player Trevor Stephen with me on today's show. And the January transfer window is officially open. We are now a week into the window and there have been some signings already. Everton have brought in a couple of players, one from Ukraine and one from Rangers, respectively. Wolves have made signings. Um, uh, but really, Newcastle is the one that everyone's keeping their eye on. And Kieran Trippier has arrived at St. James's Park. For me, Dean, this feels like a bit of a statement signing because everyone knows now that Newcastle United have got some cash. Everyone knows that they're desperate for players because they're in the relegation zone. And as far as signings go, for a club that are in the bottom three, this is a pretty big one. It's a brilliant signing. It's, it's brilliant. It's It comes with very little risk, really, if you look at it. Um, I think Trippier's playing at Atletico Madrid. Uh, they won the title last year. Um, he's been in the England squad. He's played in the Premier League before. He's only 31, so he's still at a good age. Um, so I think it's a really, really clever signing. Um, from everything I hear, is a good character as well. Um, he can bring some leadership to the group and some experience, which is needed. Um, and he's a good player. So, and I, who knows? Only he knows what his contract is. But I don't think it's ridiculous. I think he's getting well paid. But I don't think it's overly, overly over the top. You know, and I think they're playing twelve million for him. Um, he's going to sign maybe a three-year deal on. You know, 130, 140 grand a week, which is ridiculous money. But in the modern game, it's it's not ridiculous, if that makes sense. So I think it's a really good signing. I think there's been rumours of, of Luca Dean, I think, coming from Everton as well. So, you know, that's the two fullbacks sorted out, which is what they need to improve. A centre-half, if they can bring a centre-half in, um, I think that would be important for them. And, and then potentially bringing a striker in as well, because Callum Wilson is out maybe six to eight weeks, which means he's not going to be back till till March. Will he hit the ground running straight away? Some maximums injured, I think, or whether I don't know how if that's long term or short term. So another spark up front, I think, will be important for them. But sorting the defensive um, positions out, I think, will be um, you know top of the list for for Eddie Howe. But I think it's a really good signing in in Kieran Trippier. I think it's very very clever business. Um, and kind of gives a statement of how Newcastle were going to approach it. I think it's very intelligent and very um, forward-thinking, if I'm honest. You know, because if they go down, Kieran Trippier is not going to be one of those players who's going to be asking to leave. He'll think, OK, look, we'll go straight back up and then I'm a Premier League player again. So I think yeah. it ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of it being the first signing of the new era at Newcastle. And it's a pretty big one and it kind of sets a precedent, I guess, and... People will pick their heads up and go, "Okay, this guy's signing for a team that could be playing in the championship next season and he's just won the La Liga title and he plays for England. So I think that there are a lot of positives there for Newcastle. And it leads me on to ask Trevor, what's the process? What do players look for when they're looking to move clubs? Because everyone, when it comes to this Trippier deal, has said, oh, it's all about money. It's the only reason he's going there. I don't necessarily agree. So in terms of the order of priorities... What are they? Is it about the project? Is it about the amount of game time? Is it about the place that you're moving to? Where are your kids going to live? Where is your wife going to live? Is it about the cash? I mean, where, where does it rank? Or is it is it too easy to say it's different for every player? Well, there is no no one one size fits all uh, with this because it does depend on on a whole um, a variety of criteria. 
uh, and some you can you can predict, others you can say, well, don't understand it. And uh, just as an example, let's look at Gareth Bale right, at, um, at Real Madrid. Uh, Gareth is someone who um, who hasn't prioritised football uh, as the majority of professionals would do in, in the recent years. He's looked to... Um, stay where he is at Real Madrid, knowing that he's not going to play very much. I know he's been injured, you know, quite frequently. Uh, he does come back to Tottenham on loan, but in the, you know, the, the, the primary sort of thoughts in his head are, um, I'm only, I've got a short career and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get the money that that's coming my way. Uh, and if I play, I play. And, and, and if, if I don't, I don't. And that's one player's way of looking at it. But then you've got an, another uh a set of players who just want to be happy in them in themselves and they may not be happy in the club that they're at they may not be playing um, that doesn't mean to say they've, they've made it difficult for management etc but they need a change and again that is depending on the player's ambition uh, and how he wants to feel happy about himself his family and, and, and his footballing career um, as a personal example, I went to from Glasgow Rangers to Marseille, and at Marseille I was I was paid a fortune at Marseille, but they wanted to change uh, two or three players, and um, I didn't argue to go back to Glasgow Rangers, which was still being paid nicely, but nowhere near where I was on at Marseille. But I chose not to chase the money and stick around and hang around in Marseille and be like a you know, a, a bad smell in the corner of the dressing room. Uh, I wanted to go and I wanted to play. I wanted to, um, you know, see what I can achieve in the footballing sense, um, you know, back at Rangers. And that's, the, that's what I chose. And then you've also got people who are pushed out the door um, who may want to stay at a football club, but the manager is telling you that you're surplus to requirements uh, and you don't want to go, but you, you have to go. And that's a difficult one because a lot of players end up at clubs that are not going to progress them and they're not going to feel this is the next step and stage for me. And, and that's the sort of stage three. Whereas Trippier, I think, is the, as Dean alluded to, perfect, 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 perfect in every sense of the word. He's a brilliant uh, leader, communicator, right age, great experience, done the league, sees the bigger picture. He could be at Newcastle United and earn a fortune for the next five or six years. So it fits for him, but that's not to say it fits for everybody. But what, what I would say is that, you know, going mid-season to a, a new team, that is not an easy challenge for a footballer because it's about you're leaving your family potentially, uh, you're living in a hotel, you've got to make an impact because the fans are looking at you and you've got to, you've got to hit the ground running. Um, and this is why the Trippier uh, signing, I think, is, has been a masterstroke as far as Newcastle are concerned. Yeah, and you add COVID into that mix as well, Trevor, because, yeah. I mean, look at Ferran Torres, who's just gone to Barcelona, who said, I never really got to experience life in Manchester. And I think of two Chelsea players, Werner and Havertz, who made a move to Chelsea, moved to London, and London was a ghost town for a large period of the time that they were first trying to settle in. It must be tough coming from another country and, and doing that. And you mentioned your move to Marseille. You've played for a few different clubs as well. Dean, what's that process like when you find out that someone wants you or you want to move clubs? Is it a case of I need to get in touch with my agent and say, 
I want to move or your agent rings you up and it's unexpected. Is there any blueprint for that? How does it generally work when a transfer's close? There's no huge blueprint for it as well because I think uh, if I look at the moves that I had, some of them came through my agent, but some came through football contacts. Previous players I played with that were now coaches or at a team, assistant managers or managers that I'd worked with previously um, that you still stayed in contact with would, would speak to you direct and just kind of ask the question before making a, a formal bid or um, looking into it in more detail. So I think it can happen a number of ways. Um, but it does eventually go through the agent. They go through the, the formalities and the details, agreeing the fee, agreeing your wages, um, the structure, the length of your contract. So you do need rep- representation for that, definitely. Um, and it, like Trevor said, it depends if you want to leave or not um, and whether the club wants to get rid of you or not. And, you know, I've been at clubs where I was really happy, you know, back-to-back promotions at Southampton, um, didn't want to leave, was about to fulfil my dream of playing in the Premier League. Um, and then was informed that I could leave if I wanted to, and another club would come in for me, and the club were willing to allow me to leave. So that was disappointing. So how do you come to terms with that then, Dean? I mean, obviously, you're settled. You're a man of the South Coast, and someone says to you, I guess I might have been unexpected. I don't know what the situation was, but someone just says to you, "Okay, you're leaving," and it's almost like you didn't really have much choice or much say. Was that that, was that a fair comment to make, or? We always have a choice, but and it goes back to what Trevor's point. It depends what you want as a footballer. I always wanted to play, so you know I wanted to play football and I wanted to be playing in front of crowds and playing first team football. So for me, but that did come out of the blue a little bit. But I think Trevor would tell you you do sense it a little bit. You know whether it's in training, whether it's you're not uh, whether pre-season games you're not playing in the team that potentially look as though it's going to start the season. When you're working on things, you get swapped in and out. So you, there is a sense that you think, okay, this is not quite as it's been. So, I mean, I was fortunate in that situation. I still had two and a half years, I think maybe three years left on my Southampton contract. So I didn't have to go. So for me, it was I was only going to leave for the right club. Um, and fortunate enough for me, um, it was Brighton. So I moved from Southampton to Brighton. So I was going to a championship club that were trying to progress and try and get into the Premier League. So it... It ticked a few boxes for me, but it was difficult also because, you know, we just had our second child. So, you know, literally just had him. He was a couple of months old. Um, We just finished building a house so that, you know, we thought we were going to live in for two or three years and be happy there. And that does come into your decision making. But again, that's why it had to be a club close to me because I wasn't at that time, at that point, willing to relocate. It had to be something that was that could help us, you know, I could support my wife, we could live in the house. So there's so many things that come into it um, that, you know, that probably the general public don't see really. The thing that uh, that you said there, Dean, was um, you wanted to play. I, I cannot imagine being at a club and you just settle for coming into training, training at odd hours, playing in, you know, um, reserve team football or whatever it was in those days. But... I can't imagine that you could survive that for a week or two, but then it would drive you absolutely crazy. Because playing, playing is um, is what it's all about. It's, it's the sport that we love, and uh, you don't have any, um, you know, you can't make your reputation by sitting on the bench or sitting mm-hmm. in a stand. I mean, that, to me, that'd be um, soul destroying. Yeah. Uh, demoralizing. It doesn't matter how and, many goals you score in training, does it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's that de- de- demoralising thing that I think it, you, you must not, as a player, allow that to happen because 
sometimes you'll never get back. You know, you've got to keep fighting the fight and you've got to keep wanting to play. Uh, and, you know, that that's the healthy way of, of approaching the career. The minute that money becomes, you know, takes over as the, the key priority, then, you know, in the longer term, in the long run, it's not, it's, that won't work for you. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear both of you uh, speak about transfers and not so much how they work, but what you have to go through. Because I think just finally on this one, Dean, what you said about thinking about moving and you've just had a kid and you want to support your wife and you've just finished building a house. These are all things that people from the outside looking in don't really see. And, you know, in terms of footballers, we know that they're well remunerated for the job that they do. And people say that there are certain kind of perks and downfalls of the job that, that come with that. But it's, it's small things like that, particularly down in the lower leagues where players are sometimes having to move from one end of the country to the other in order to keep their career going. Do you think sometimes that's overlooked by sort of general football fans? They think, why doesn't this player just get up and go? Why doesn't this player just leave? I mean, a, a name I can think of off the top of my head is someone like Phil Jones, who hasn't played a Premier League game until recently for something like 700 odd days. And he's had a, tor- a torrid time with injury. He's had a load of abuse as well. And, you know, maybe he's thinking, I don't want to get up and leave. I want to prove that I'm still good enough to play for this club. So do you think that there's an element of that? There's an argument for that. And I kind of have got a lot of um, respect for players in some respect like that that can really believe that they're going to get back into the team. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that as well. And I think it's even harder in the modern day because of social media. You know, everyone has access to you. Everyone has an opinion on you. Everyone feels as though they understand what your life's really like and... They know better than you do. Um, and as a player, it's difficult to react to that. And we've just spoke of, spoke about Lukaku being open and honest with his interview, and but then criticised him for doing it because you can't really do <laughs> yeah. that. But sometimes you want to do that as a player because there's so many things that potentially people don't know about um, how you're feeling. Um, you're settled. I remember the first time that I left and I only left to go to Brighton to Colchester. So I'm going from Sussex to Essex, which is what, a two-hour drive. So it's nowhere. But I was young. I left my family. I left my girlfriend, who, you know, at the, at the time. Um, and I stayed in a hotel. I wasn't eating right. I actually signed for Colchester when I was injured and suspended. So it was very hard to actually settle into the dressing room because you want to prove yourself to the players. And players in that dressing room are looking at you at the lower leagues going, well, I've got to pay my mortgage. So I want my appearance bonus. I want my bonus. So you're going to come in and take my place and you need to prove yourself to me and to the group. And if you can't do that, it's difficult. And then when you get your opportunity, you have to be ready. It, there's so many factors. It, it is difficult. It is difficult. and it's. But that's part and parcel of football. You cope with that as a footballer. But I would always be someone that wanted to play. The thing that you've again um, touched on there is that um, in our day of playing, um, money wasn't really an issue. You know, you... Um, it was it was never a, a talking point in a dressing room and it was never um nobody was ever comfortable enough to not have that desire to get in the start in 11 because it did matter appearance money did matter winning a game did matter whereas now it doesn't matter you know to the personal finances of any footballer in any dressing room um in, in the majority of the top two leagues in England it doesn't really matter that much whereas it was about um, you know, fulfilling your ambitions as you, in your career, but also your the support system that you've had to, you know, built around you, and you are the main part of that support system as well. And that's about you know paying the bills. Um, and you know, so it, it doesn't you don't have to go that far back to 
see that football was like that. It certainly was like that when I w- was playing for the majority of my career. It has changed over time. Uh, but money money has distorted um, the sort of culture in dressing rooms, I think. Uh, and the social media that goes along with that, again, when everybody's a brand all of a sudden, uh, that's another distortion of of what we see as all traditional uh, 11 against 11 football, you know. Really interesting discussion. Dean, Trevor, great to have you on the dugout this week. Fascinating to hear your thoughts. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of this show again. We are the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the Premier League season, keeping you up to date with all the latest news, whether that be transfers or all the other goings on uh, in the top flight. So make sure you do that. And we'll catch you next time here on Sports Social. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.